Hi, I'm Alexander. Hey, I'm Yaroslav. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Alexander, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Hi, uh, I am a professor of mathematics, as I have been for each other episode I've been on. I'm glad you didn't get fired in the meantime. Yeah, me too. You know, I had all day to think of something to plug, and I couldn't think of anything. It's okay. It's okay to be plugless. Oh, oh, actually, um, I've been playing a lot of the game Against the Storm. It's like a city builder, but it's a bite-sized kind of... It's on a timer, basically, and there's a lot of, like, crafting chains, but you never get the same stuff, so you always have to be improvising. And, uh, like, you can play it on harder and harder difficulties, and things get really, like, crazy. I don't know. Yeah. It's one of those... I feel like with games, it's just, like... I, when I have the energy for it, it's good to just play something I'm already pretty familiar with. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, uh, you just said your name, but I already forget what it was. I'm sorry. Uh, my name is Yaroslav, and I'm a computer programmer currently at Relic Entertainment. And I do weird stuff with old computers and electronics and do some leather working. I have ADHD and too many hobbies. So <laughs> Hands up if you have ADHD and too many hobbies. <laughs> I know, right? Good company here. Also, I also uh, he made my wallet. Oh. The wallet I currently use. Wow. It is the second wallet I've ever owned. So it's a... Product of Relic Entertainment. Yeah. Are you ready to start on some topics? Sure. Yep. Alexander, your topic is somewhat dim mirror. So first of all, Black Mirror, that's, that is a British show, right? Yes. Made in the UK. Saw a few episodes. Um, I don't know. I, I just got, uh, I was listening to an earlier episode of Topic Lords. I forget what prompted this, but I realized that when I think of English sort of sci-fi or like, uh, like satirical work, like Douglas Adams or Terry Pratchett, or even Monty Python, really, one of the threads is that it's about all the little annoying things and it's just making a dystopia about that. Uh Like there's no villain in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There's just a lot of frustration (laughs) and (laughs) bureaucrats and ineffective customer service agencies. I didn't realize this like as a kid reading this and watching Monty Python, but like so much of Monty Python is just like, look at all this stupid shit on the BBC. Look at all these shows that really don't need to exist. Yeah. Look at the the state of things, which wouldn't have made any contextual sense to me. Right, right. And if Americans made Monty Python, they would be like, look at all the stupid shows on the BBC. Here's a villain we can punch so that that stops happening. And then the laser beam from the sky. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Here is people being stupid in a funny but completely unrealistic way. And British shows are like, ha, look at this guy who thought that this would work and it didn't. Right. Isn't that cringy? And like, I'm reading Terry Pratchett and he's, there's a lot of like, you can see a lot of like just fantasy about just the little things, little annoyances, little uh, like problems people have, like personalities. You can, you can say, oh yeah, I kind of know someone like that. Yeah. It's like a somewhat dim mirror. Okay, hang on. Is the, is the whole premise behind the, this topic that it's like a black mirror, but a little less black? Well, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> making sure everybody's on <laughs> the same That's the page. joke. Right. Just making sure. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, I I, I kind of like that. I like the, the, the focus away from like, oh, just look at how horrible everything is because it's people and people are horrible. And let, it's... I, don't, I think it's kind of the same vein as like some Seinfeld or Kirby or enthusiasm, just all the little things that you don't really think about. And then until someone points them out and about like, oh, yeah, that is kind of a that is kind of a thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Every time I hear about Black uh, Mirror, I'm thinking about uh, 
black body uh, emission and thinking like would black body mirror even exist is or is that like just ox- oxymoron well the the definition of being a black body is to not be a mirror you couldn't have chosen two things that were further apart i know i, I think that's the point yeah it's a contradiction that's what makes it spooky Ooh. and also boston dynamics robots that episode was terrifying so what's happening when there's a really shiny black thing um it's not black oh if i hmm, from what i understand I'm not a shiny black thing expert, but there's there's two main kinds of ways light bounces off a normal thing. There's one where it it bounces pretty much in the direction that it came from. Oh yes. Like it makes an equal angle and there's one where it just hits some chaotic mass and just sort of disperses all over the place. The shiny black thing has one but not the other. Right. What is that? Specular versus diffuse? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's got to be it. Yeah. We solved it. We solved it, folks. Yeah. That's the somewhat it's dim mirror. Somewhat dim mirror. Mm. Yeah, somewhat not black. It's like an eight ball. An eight ball that can tell you the future. That's that's <laughs> pretty spooky. I bet you can make an episode out of that. Uh, you mean an episode of Topic Lords? I mean, I guess you could. I was thinking episode of Black Mirror. I was also thinking Twilight Zone, which probably did something like that. All right. Uh, the next topic is Ask Again Later. Mm. Haven't we done that one already? Yeah, this one, uh, there's, there's a... <laughs> Limited number of topics being supplied by this magic eight ball. You never run out of things to talk about. It's like those podcasts that they they watch the same thing over and over until their brains bleed and somehow come up with new content about it. Yeah, those are those are horrifying. I, I refuse to take part in the in, in in someone's like they really feel like there's a video series that's like we're gonna feed people extremely hot peppers. And then make them <laughs> recite a monologue. Yeah. I'm going to log in and watch these people abuse themselves for 10 minutes. I feel like a lot of human human interest is collecting reactions of other people. Various in, states of distress, yeah. Yeah, just all kinds of other emotions. I mean, that's kind of what like music and theater and reality TV show, a lot of that. I don't know. Oh, there's such a focus. There's such a focus on the negative emotions, though. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's just because they're stronger. Like, we feel them more strongly. Yeah. Uh, are we ready for another topic? I think so. Uh, Yaroslav, your topic is unique and weird self-bootstrapping computer language. Fourth. Yeah, quite interesting language. It was uh, designed by Charles Moore. And the cool thing about it is you write fourth in fourth. So idea is usually it uses implementation what's um, in fourth kind of environment uh, called either direct or indirect threading. It's kind of a, a virtual machine uh, interpreted language, but the cool thing about it is it doesn't necessarily have a, a structure like a language. It uses reverse Polish notation, which is, uh, for those who don't know, it's uh, when you have two plus two, it's a regular notation. It's infix. Yeah. And reverse Polish notation is two, two, which both of them go on stack, and then you do plus, and then you have four on the stack. So what you do uh, is you usually like declare what's called in fourth words, like for addition, subtraction, and few um, the stack manipulation s- words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I forgot. I forgot the word. Like utility of words uh, to bootstrap it, and then you write the rest, including like if statements. Uh, you write in fourth itself. You only declare a branch instruction uh, that's gonna move your program execution to somewhere else. And then you implement the rest uh, in fourth itself. And it's also really weird to read because you don't really have good formatting. 
what you do is not even formatting, just like a structure. It's kind of unique to Forth. Uh, you try to declare small words that uh, do certain things, and then you use them in more words and kind of try to make your functions small, which is kind of a yeah. part of modern programming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but but Forth really takes it to like... Uh, yeah, to the other level. If you try to work in Forth, like you really need to... You, you, you really don't want to be operating on more than like two or three items on the stack at once. Oh, absolutely. Because, uh, he, because it gets like, it's, it's a huge mess at that point. And so you really need to like, even if you're already a programmer and you're already used to, yes, of course you write functions, you break your problem into sub problems. In fourth, you really have to do this to a degree that you've never thought about before. Yeah. yeah. Stack manipulation is like really big pain in the ass because you can, <laughs> you can't really like give me nth parameter from the stack. No, usually you just have like swap. Uh, um, word that just swaps first and the second word. You have dupe uh, dup like duplicate to uh duplicate the top item because if you wanna add the same number on itself, uh, your word is gonna be colon dupe plus semicolon, where colon is a special word that switches interpreter into a compilation mode. Right. Uh, then you're gonna give it the name of the uh, actual word, which is gonna be let's say uh double. Then it's gonna be plus. Uh, that's actual operation that's going to take the number from top of the stack and the semicolon, which is going to compile the word and exit the compilation mode. So your whole program is going to be colon, double, plus, semicolon. And to execute it, you would type two, double, enter. Right, I'm so. looking at a snippet of this. I hmm, Not to be a downer, I think I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, it... it I'm glad I've never had to do it because it would, I think this would ruin me because I would constantly be fretting and fussing over what I declare. You say like, oh, I say this thing more than once. I should, I should define it somewhere. And like, oh, I've stopped using this. Or have I stopped using this? I should get rid, I, I would yeah. just fuss with this forever. Yeah. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, it, on, on one hand, it's kind of awful. Like, seriously. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, like, you only need a couple thousand lines of machine code on the raw hardware, and then you can bootstrap mm. the rest. Yeah, it's really a remarkable... The fourth interpreter is tiny. The fourth bytecode is tiny. You could do this on, like, an embedded systems uh, context okay. uh, and, and get away with it. And it's ostensibly a high-level language, Okay. So except in some ways, like, even when you're working in assembly, for example, in assembly language, you can still have as many local variables as you want. Fourth, like, I think some versions of it have the concept of local variables, but they're extremely discouraged. Uh, you, you can't create variables because, uh, like, in the uh, simplest uh, format of this, you can just declare a word that doesn't have a code, but just does have allocated memory. Right. Like, the access to it is going to be uh, heavier than the stack, obviously, but you can still do that. Yeah. When I was growing up, the person who taught me to program... He went through this period of a couple of years where he kind of gave up on operating systems as we know it and just installed a fourth interpreter on his laptop and just lived in that for all of his computing needs. And like he was doing like like scientific and mathematical research all inside of this environment of like a hmm. of a fourth interpreter that didn't even as far as I know didn't even really have built in floating point. Yeah, some say he's still in there to this day. No, he's dead now. But <laughs> I mean, it, well, I mean, as far as you know, yeah, yeah. It, it has a weird file system support. Uh, the way it does it is uh, it treats uh, files as like the system just in blocks of one one thousand twenty four bytes. 
So you have, uh, I believe, like 64 width lines, and usually you write your own editor in like a couple hundred lines, and then you can just... The block is like a first-class like uh, object in the file system. It doesn't really even have the concept of files. No. No, it's and just it's a block. The blo- and the block is deliberately sized so that it will fit on on a screen so that it's easy to implement the editor. Exactly like that. This feels like, like an evolutionary branch that's no longer with us how computers could work. Oh, it wasn't even with us even back when it was invented. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like going back to the, like the Cambrian period. And it's like, what is this shelled thing? And what was it trying to do? Yeah. All the, all the weird characters in APL. That's, a, <laughs> that's what my grandfather tried to get me going on is APL. <laughs> Too much. I think fourth is my, is as far as I, I'm willing to go. Uh, it's yeah, it's, it's obscure, but it's has been used in hardware development for the same reason as, I, I said before, because it's really easy to bootstrap. Uh, the open firmware, uh, which is like open boot uh, project, is written in fourth. So it, it's great in a way that I, as a human, would not be able to personally appreciate. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's like Eurovision. It's like, I don't get it. <laughs> oh, we're, we're going to have a Eurovision party this Saturday. Oh, nice. Oh, is that this weekend? Yeah. We, we all hate it, but we watch it because it's ridiculous. And it's a nice reason sure. to get together for yeah. a day. One one thing I will say in favor of um, RPN is that if you have uh, a reverse Polish notation calculator in high school, no one ever wants to borrow your calculator. Is it like having a Dvorak keyboard? <laughs> it's a lot, a lot like that. You, yeah, you, yeah. They're like, hey, Jim, can I borrow your calculator? And you hand it over and they're like two plus and then it says stack underflow. And they say, okay, you can have it back now. Can I, can I look at your map? Uh, here's my Dymaxian map of the globe. <laughs> I mean, I have more RPN calculators at home than I have regular ones. I have the HP 35S and I have a clone of uh, HP 16, which is like a programmer calculator. So it can yeah. do binary and octal. That's very fun. I like that a lot. Yeah, this is a nice little guy. It's easier for me to use the physical thing than the computer, especially because Windows calculator sucks. Yeah. Surely someone has implemented an emulation of what was it, the HP 35 on Windows or what have you. I, I sometimes use free 42, it's HP 42 emulation, but like I then I need to remember all the hotkeys because I'm not going to use my mouse. That's fair. And of course I, not. I'm, I'm too lazy to learn the hotkeys. I don't use it that often. You're efficient. No, it's laziness. Are we uh, ready for another topic? Sure. Sure. Uh, my topic is, I've been getting emails from an online casino guide offering analysis of the relative popularity of characters from the Mario Brothers movie. How did they get my email? And how do they know that this is the kind of thing I want to gamble on? Also, what 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 has Anaya okay. Casino do with the analysis of the let characters? Me, let, me, let me walk through this. Emails from an online casino guide. Yes. And that's that's what you know. That, okay. Is Yes. Hmm. The study was conducted. I'm looking at the email now. Okay. The study was conducted by Six Takarakuji, an online casino guide offering its audience a gaming and entertainment experience. I. What is an online casino guide? I don't know. Yeah, but six Takarakuji is one. It's one of those ambiguous English uh, like uh, phrases. Like, is it a casino guide that's online? Right. Is yeah. it a guide for online casinos? Right. So, according to this guide, uh, Mario is the most popular character from the Super Mario Brothers movie. Okay. With over a million mentions on Twitter in the past twenty-four hours. It's not a. I feel that that's not a 
that this is important information they're bringing to us. I feel there's a number of things wrong with that whole idea. First of all, the idea of popularity is not a very good correlation with being talked about. Oh yeah, this is a uh, this is a problem that tech companies make all the time, though. Yeah, or, or a mistake rather. Yeah, and also, um, yeah, they're talking about the movie guys, not the character. I mean, oh man, have you have you heard about like uh, I made a story with a super popular character. His name is the. <laughs> oh, the. Is Everyone's talking about it. incredible engagement on Twitter. Yeah, this is my character. His name is Ant, is at symbol. Don't don't add him. Wario and Waluigi. I don't think they're even in the movie, but they are right at the bottom of the list mm. with nineteen thousand and eight thousand tweets, respectively. Yeah. Well, I mean, for every Mario, there's an equal and opposite Wario. That's right. If you don't know who the Wario is in your social circle, you're the Wario. <laughs> Shit. Well, when you say my name is Ad, it, uh, are you talking about the net hack? <laughs> okay, hang on. I'm lost. I'd, this 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 joke has has it's gone <laughs> way over my head. Whoosh. It's it's the popular, uh, very popular roguelike called Net Hack. It's quite old and still in development, and uh, it's all done in ASCII. Is it still in development? Yeah, yeah they're working yeah. on it. They, they've oh released my God. patches in the past, I think in the past year. Yeah, and like your character is the at symbol, I believe, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, that's the connection. <laughs> oh, is, the, is is it because tweets start with at? Is that the... <laughs> that was that was my half of the joke. Yeah, he, he said my name is at. And then we just kind of, we kind of did an assist on that. We, oh. we worked our way into NetHack. All right. From Mario. Now, now the most important question, like we're talking about all of these games, where the hell is gambling? Where's the gambling? Yeah, that, that's the other question. What does this have to do with gambling or casinos? Yeah, the, the email doesn't say anything about that. But but you need a guide. You need a guide for that's casino. Right. That's right. Yeah. It's a useless. I, I, I feel lost listening to this, so it sounds like uh, it, it sounds like their advertising's working on me. <laughs> I tried to go to the Six Takarakuji website, and it's all in, it looks like, uh, it looks like it's in Japanese. Oh. I couldn't even tell what they were trying to convey. I'm just going to assume this is like some kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Like some, some way they have of organizing two concepts together that we wouldn't necessarily think of. A mashup. Like, oh yeah, online casino guides, we have those, and they talk about <laughs> Mario all the time. Right. Yeah, the, the, the word I have in my head is bullshit. Uh, it's like herpetology. It's like what? Herpetology, the study Herpeto- of... I thought you said carpetology, <laughs> like as in carpets. <laughs> right. The study of what? What is it like? Rugs and carpets, even though they're not actually the same family. Right. Yes. Uh, so this, I, I wrote this topic when this was ongoing, but after they sent me like the three emails about the latest on which Mario character was most popular, they gave up and they stopped sending me these emails. And now, and I have no way of knowing. Like, is Mario still on top? Because for bo- all three of these emails, Mario was the most popular character. Really. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Not Luigi. Not Are Luigi. You sure, it's not Luigi. Luigi's number three. Luigi's not. Luigi's even... number three. Yeah, after Bowser. Oh, huh. Bowser's really popular, but Wario isn't. Okay, I see how it is. Well, Bowser's in the movie. Okay. I don't know. It's like I once in the just earlier and more embarrassing time of internet, social media, and forums. Um, it's like some guy making some kind of like pro evangelical argument there's this there was this chick track that's about i think it was the infamous dnd dungeons and dragon one which we might have to tell our view, our listeners about at this point 
Yeah, go for it. Jack Chick, who was a guy who made infamous like little tracks, like basically like tiny comics. It was like a, a, a photocopied zine with Oh yeah, it's like a like a zine. Just sort of impressively middling art skills, um, I would say. And uh, really just obvious uh it's the kind of thing it's like, hey, did you know that Christ died for our sins? Person two. Oh, I didn't know that. Tell me more. You know, that kind of thing. And the, 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 probably the most infamous one where it's like, he, he, it's a little story about people that get too far into Dungeons and Dragons, and this is the 80s, and then one of them takes some, the game too seriously, and uh, it's, it, it's just, a, I don't know. Um, <laughs> of course, there's parodies of it. And this, this guy made the argument that, I don't know what he, like, the, the chick track has more viewers or more popularity than the parody of it. So Jack Chick wins this one. <laughs> and it's just sort of like, yeah, Mario's way more popular than Luigi. It's like, you can't really talk about Luigi without mentioning Mario almost. Yeah. I mean, unless you're just talking about somebody named Luigi, that's not, I guess that's true. Part of the series. It'd be interesting to know which of these names is most popular in like, I guess, Italy. And by that, I mean just Mario and Luigi. <laughs> I wonder if just people don't call their children Mario or Luigi. Because of this, no. I have a I had a friend in in high school whose older brother was named Luigi. They were an Italian family. You mean older brother? So how old was he? Was he before uh, my age? So my mm. like Mario is like what eighty six? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, the, if if you count Donkey Kong as like eighty one, man, and no one names their kid Donkey anymore. Yeah, eighty three. So uh, it and what's your age? Closer, closer to forty four. Yeah. So so. Probably before Mario. I'm looking at baby name data, um, and Mario has the name has hovered right in the like the 100 to, to 250 50th like rank popularity in the United States for for the past hundred years. So no peak or trough associated with uh, the Mario series. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. And how about Luigi? Where? How is that? Dive bomb, dive bomb in the 80s. <laughs> this is not data from Italy. Oh, Luigi is like in thousandth place. Mm. What about Wario? Wario. <laughs> Zero. No results. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's going to be like from some some distant language and it's pronounced Wario. Like, yeah, the, the US census doesn't publish information that like, I'm sure there's a kid named Wario, like a kid. But... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the census only publishes like only publishes information about names that like are reasonably common. Hmm. Yeah, it's like there is some child that has been named like N five BX or something. Right. I don't remember. Oh God, Elon Musk called his name X A A twelve. For fuck's sakes. Yep. <sighs> Wario is a better name than that. Yeah. <laughs> are we ready for another topic? Oh, I think so. Uh, for this topic, we're going, to be, we're going to be reading the poem The Kraken by Alfred Tennyson. Uh, would you like to read the poem or shall I? Hmm. Okay, I'll read it. I, I can try. Go, if, you, if you'd like to give it a go, go ahead. Sure. I have not seen it before, so uh, my uh, we'll see how it goes. Below the thunders of the upper deep, far, far beneath in the abysmal sea, his ancient, dreamless, uninvited sleep, the Kraken sleepeth, faintest sunlight's feet about his about his shadowy sides about him swell huge sponges of millennial growth and height and far away into the sticky light from many a wondrous grot and secret cell unnumbered an enormous 
polypi, we know with giant arms, the slumbering green, the half he lay in for ages and will lie. What's the word? Battening? Battening. Battening. Battening upon huge sea worms in his sleep until the letter fire shall hit the deep. Then once by men and angels to be seen, in roaring he shall rise and on the surface die. So my takeaway from this poem is that krakens are awesome. Yeah. Kind of a twist in the very last word there. Yeah, yeah, you think uh well this is this was our um this was our interaction with krakens for millennia was like like, oh, we something mm-hmm. washed up on the shore. Weird. Uh, I don't think we saw like giants. A kraken is like a giant squid, right? In, in actuality, like the species. I don't know if it has an official like. If we if something is canonically counts as a kraken, but right. yeah, we have those. Right. Yeah. Like big. I don't think we we were able to. I don't think we ever documented one that while it was alive until I don't know the past thirty years or something like that. So. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, still a thing. They're it's fucking sweet. Terrifying, like thirty meters. Wow. Yeah, ridiculous. Stuff can get big underwater. So the other thing that sticks out in this poem, I don't think, I think Tennyson meant to write abyssal sea, but wrote abysmal. And I was like, at first I thought this was like an OCR error, (laughs) but then I looked for another source for the poem and they all say abysmal. Maybe that's what abysmal meant originally. I I guess. Yes. Yeah. I I, I I think it's, I think it's okay for a poet to not know a word though. I think like we can, we can admit like even as we we laud this poem poet's skill, we can say, but he didn't know what abyssal meant or abysmal. Or what it would become to mean eventually. <laughs> or that, perhaps. Yeah. According to this, the poem has fifteen lines, but authorities still accept it as a sonnet. This is more just like it's Tennyson. It's gotta be a sonnet. You can't say it's not a sonnet. It's it's Alfred Tennyson. Well it, it grew to such an it's a sonnet that grew to such enormous sizes. <laughs> Also, by the way, uh, the wiki dictionary claims that abysmal with I is one of the interpretations is bottomless. Wow. Okay. Mm. All right. All right. You, you win this time, Tennyson. It's bottomless, unending, profound, or extremely bad. With but it it spells like uh, with Y specifically. Right. As a separate thing. And Wikipedia then goes on to talk about. The people who have interpreted this poem, like, for example, here's one person who read the poem politically, seeing the Kraken as representing the slumbering political might of the working classes. Uh, So other critics saw the Kraken as the image of the poet imprisoned or isolated, either in the creative process or in the mind. These people, like, they don't get it. Clearly, he just thought the Kraken was cool and wanted to write about a cool thing. Yeah, I don't know. This pretty this pretty succinctly describes that one uh, like crazy lawyer that Trump tried to use in 2020. <laughs> yeah, there was much hype about. And God, what was that? Michael Cohen? Uh, no, no, he was already in jail. <laughs> the other crazy okay, one, right. the, the New York mayor one. Too, too soon. Too soon. Yeah, what was her name? Uh, anyway, as soon as like. Yeah, immediately on this as as soon as it was brought to the surface, it died. <laughs> Alex, that's a, that's a crisis de jour topic as from the rules of the topic lords. <laughs> this... Sorry, what did you say? The the rules of topic lords. You don't talk Are about there? crisis de jour topics. Well, that the, the rule is that you don't make that a topic, like okay. on the on the itinerary, because <laughs> we're just going to talk about it anyway. Like, okay. 
Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that, that lawyer modeled themselves after the Kraken. They were like, I want to live like the Kraken does. <laughs> I want to be huge and eat sponges <laughs> and worms and live in darkness. Life goals. And then I shall rise and on the surface die. But die in a really awesome way. I'll probably explode or something. <laughs> or just confuse everybody. That's what that was about. Yeah, it's a poem about how the Kraken was deliberately attempting to confuse us. Yeah. Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Uh, Yaroslav, your topic is NES dev scene and new games still being released. Yeah, it's surprisingly interesting. Uh, I think like about four years ago, I've been Googling around as ADHD people do. Uh, and I, th- <laughs> and I, I started thinking, it's like, uh, I used to play a lot of uh, NES. At, in Ukraine, it was actually called Dendi. Which is right. very weird story Dendi. about. Yeah, it's it was a Chinese clone of uh, NES. Oh, okay. yeah. So we were mostly playing Japanese games, uh, except they weren't PAL; they were CCAM as opposed to NTSC format. Uh, anyway, so I was just thinking about it, and I started googling, and there's the whole forum, and it's very active, and there's like a Wikipedia page, like a NES Dev Wiki. And so I was like, "Whoa, it would be cool to try to program NES," and I started fiddling with that. And in the meantime, there has been like coming up Kickstarters with NES games for like $50,000, It's Like thousands of cartridges are still actually being made and people buy those games and people still play those games. And I, I have three official releases of games like in boxes with manual with a, with a uh, cartridge sleeve. It's ridiculous. They keep making new stuff. It's really cool. Yeah, like, and the the cards are the same, the boxes are, like, you can just put the box in your collection of NES games if you have any, and, like, it's gonna fit right in, and it's gonna play as well, probably even better. Uh, there's a couple of really cool games, like Witch and Whiz, which is um, a very cute game that starts like a soccer ban, but, like, with a twist, and usually, like, after about every ten levels, the twist changes. It's like, you either have, like, a new ability or a new obstacle, uh, like, the way, like, certain things move or explode or like removed one of my favorite uh nes homebrew and i guess i should explain homebrew homebrew is a usually the name for a game that's made for a lockdown system like nes that's not official it's uh it's called moon 8 so what moon 8 is it's the dark side of the moon by pink floyd but rearranged for nes sound chip oh yeah i've been i've been trying to get the author of that on the show it's a oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Brad Smith I believe his name is like it's yeah. amazing uh, I actually I loved it so much I have a, an LP version of this I made my own cartridge because like he made I think a hundred and it was sold out and he never made any more I, I feel like when you release that it, they it, you have to like somehow release it on like a a, a vinyl that's a square. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think it is possible, but I do have a vinyl. Like he did it, I think last uh, last year or like two years ago, he was he put up the call saying like there's a gonna be released. Like I pre-ordered it right now. Uh, yeah, I made a cartridge. I even got myself, you know, what one of those uh, silhouette uh, vinyl cutters that also can cut, cut cardboard. So I went to Staples. I designed the box and I cut the box. So I have a cartridge in a box on my shelf, and I occasionally listen to it on a cartridge because it's such a I don't know. It just I feel so. Uh, dorked out about uh, this <laughs> album and how good it sounds, uh, especially on the hardware. Yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome. I saw uh, it was a number of years ago, but uh, at a little like indie game showcase, uh, some they had made a um, 
a Russian roulette game for NES uh, using the duck hunt gun. Wow. Uh, it was it was pretty funny. Like the, the you're facing off this against this like cowboy who like starts yeah like chanting mocking you if you take too long and like you can shoot various things on the screen including him and it's yeah it just seems like an interesting use of an old uh, the the gun thing for duck hunt. What would you call that kind of thing? G- uh, game controller, light gun, the zapper, light gun or zapper. But like the category of what you would yeah. where would you categorize that? I guess game controller technically, although that kind of sounds weird. Yeah. I I really want that game. Problem is, it was released in limited release. Oh, I could have picked it up uh, on eBay. It goes like by three hundred bucks or four hundred bucks. It's like I'm wow. not gonna I'm not gonna pay that amount of money for that. I don't want it that much. Yeah. And because it used uh, specifically custom hardware, there is no emulator that supports the ROM. If you even if you find it, and if, even if you find the like memory chip, like you need to know the hardware, and mm. it's not really like a public thing. So. I really want to play it, but I can't, and I don't want to spend 300 bucks. Sounds really cool. It's more expensive than getting an actual gun. <laughs> I know, right? I guess. I also... I, no, actually, I don't know. I'm in Canada. I, I went to a shooting range once, and I asked about the price for, mm-hmm. like, a, a gun that they had, and it was, like, something like 800, 700 Canadian bucks, but, like, I also need to get a license, and that's the whole other thing. I was just curious about it. The closest thing I did to that in the last month is uh, doing archery, but you can't really Russian roulette with a bow, or maybe you can. You just take two people who are, are really bad at archery and make <laughs> them shoot at each other, but they they need to be like really bad. Solved it, perfect. Solved I know, right? <laughs> just like put them like hundred feet away, or just like somehow have you have six arrows and only one of them will actually have a, has a point on it, and then. I don't know. <laughs> no, one of them have has one of those Rambo exploding arrows. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. And you just you you pointed at an exploding barrel <laughs> that's right next to you. So, have you done any homebrew work on this system, or have you looked into it? Yeah, uh, I did a uh, very tiny. So, on that NES forum that I mentioned, uh, there is usually uh, a yearly uh, NES Dev competition. So. I started a few things a couple times. I never finished them. And there was one I submitted uh, called No Good Choice. Net hack style in a way that it's a turn-based thing that you can go around and kill zombies. The idea is... Mm-hmm. The, the premise of the thing is you got stuck in a room in a bunker after zombie apocalypse and it was all nice and fine. But then you start hearing weird sounds from outside and you don't have any food, no water. So like... You can stay here and die, or you can go out and die. There's no good choice, so you need to try to get out. And it's like really ended up to be a 15-minute experience, but it, it was fun to develop. Actually, the the previous job that I got uh, asked for, in addition to the for the interview, they asked for a presentation. Mm-hmm. And that was exactly the time I was just researching NES dev, and I was like, it would be really cool to make a presentation on NES about how to program NES. So I did it. So I actually, they invited me and I asked, like, do you have a TV with coaxin? And they're like, we, we do. <laughs> yeah. And then you couldn't get it working because the, the screens kept flashing. No, I brought the... Go- they like, damn- it's pronounced cokes. <laughs> I, I brought the damn thing and I plugged it in and I was using my NES controller to switch my slides. Uh, it was mostly text. I just made some, like, background graphics. Um and just usually it was either fade in uh, those couple like small very simple graphical uh, demos about palettes and stuff but yeah i just brought the goddamn thing and i got hired i guess 
Yeah, it's got the perfect guy for the NES D make of the game we're making. No, they they were making they were making a forklift simulator at the time, like in VR. Okay, nothing, nothing close. Just anybody cool. They were desperate. Like, hey, yeah, <laughs> seems like a fun guy to raise our spirits around the office. We'll make a forklift simulator. I also passed the programming test. Let's be fair. Okay, all right, fair, <laughs> fair enough. If, if you heard about Game Maker, uh, there's also a thing that's called uh, called NES Maker. Uh, there was one guy who really, 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 really wanted to make a game uh, and couldn't. Uh, so he started learning and that he ended up making a project that's like a somewhat limited, but also drag and drop NES development tool. Yeah, it's 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 somewhat uh, limited in a way you can do without going straight into assembly, but you can make a simple game in it. And I think it was some kind of like. 50 bucks or 100 bucks for a license. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've seen a few things like that. Like there's there's GB Studio for the Game Boy. Yeah. But GB Studio is more about like it's still programming. The NES Maker is like okay. somewhat like drag and drop like Game Maker, game maker is uh, for PC. Yeah, that, well, Game Maker has what GML, the, the scripting language. But that, the, that was like kind of what I was going to get into next was like the, the real barrier to making a game on the NES is that for it to be performant at all, you really have to work in assembly. You can program in C. Uh, there yeah. is a, a CC65 compiler. There is also actually, like very recently, there is LLVM uh, fork uh, for 6502 CPU that seems to be going around 6502 limitations better. Problem mm-hmm. with C is like it really relies on stack, for right. especially like for parameter passing and for local variables. Yeah, yeah. And 6502 stack sucks doesn't it they don't have the the indexing uh operators yeah like the, the c was developed on pdp 8 and pdp 8 had the stack uh direct stack indexed access instructions right on 65 or 2 you need to copy your stack pointer to the x register and then you need to manually take the offset which means you lose the x register so you need to use a y register which is also limited like it, it's a pain in the ass yeah but you can uh, you can like the witch and whiz the game i mentioned the um, puzzle game like it is made in c you still need to be like you still like you should avoid local variables. You should global variables as much as you can. Yeah, yeah. That was actually what I was gonna what I was gonna ask about is like, well, what like when do you actually recurse? Just make everything a static variable, right? Really? Yeah. <laughs> like for the for the most part, the compiler, uh, the six. I know for the fact that six sixty five uh, has uh, alloc- allocate some of the memory to use as registers, and on sixty five or two, the first two hundred fifty six bytes. Uh, from like zero to to fifty six are called zero page, uh, yeah. Memory, which is uh, usually cuts about one or two cycles for each opcode, so that makes them inherently faster uh, compared to the rest of the memory. But also, like you have only eight k of RAM, unless you add additional one on cartridge, and you only yeah, it's not much. Yeah, and you only have thirty two k kilobytes of uh, ROM space without any hardware modifications. And you only have 8K of graphics, uh, which means you have 256 styles, 8x8, uh, for the background and 256 styles for the sprites. Like, you also cannot put more than 8 sprites in a row, because the ninth <laughs> sprites is just going to be displayed. Because now you're the, just rubbing it in. Yeah, like, it is not fun to program in a way to be easy, but if you want to challenge it, it is fun. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one of those things that, like, I would love to do if i had infinite free time i just got an, a new groove box like to, to make music and it's been sitting on my desk 
waiting for me to touch it. And I've just been too busy. I've just been like too busy with work. And also the new Zelda game just came out. Like, and, and then the, the game that I'm working on is like, or the, the, the side project that I'm working on is like, okay, now I'm, I've been, I've been ignoring that because I've got too much stuff that I'm on my plate. And like, I, I would, I would love to make an NES game. I would love to spend the rest of my life <laughs> making NES games <laughs> if I, if I had infinite free time. I have ADHD, so I try to multitask, which means I just abandon the thing and I start the next one. Right. I just spent like a, a week inventorying uh, over 3K of 3000s of like ICs that I acquired from hackerspace that nobody wanted. <laughs> but you did. Yeah. You you want you saved I, those. I do. And- I do. Like I I, I want to make uh, one bit CPU, which we may get to that topic or may not. Uh, speaking of, are we ready for another topic? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Alexander, your topic is you have to heat a black hole to cool it down. Yeah, so this is a thing that distracted me for a while. I was like, you know what? What if I'm going to try and figure out what these black hole things are all about? Because <laughs> I had some unresolved like wonderings about them. And the more you learn about them, the weirder they really are. <laughs> um, and one of them is, as far as I'm aware, they're the only things that get the, the hotter they get, the wait, no, other way around. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. The, the bigger they are, the colder they are. And if you heat them up, they get bigger and colder. What? <laughs> yes. Yes, that is, the, that is the case. If you have a really small one, it's going to be very hot. Uh, well, it's a definition of heat that it, it's not what you'd classically call heat, but it kind of ticks, all the, ticks enough of the boxes. You mean the movement of molecules? It, well, it doesn't have those, is the thing. It, it has, like, thermal entropy instead and so it behaves a lot of the same way about black body radiation but if you make it if you make it small it's hot and also it it you know and therefore exudes a lot of heat and then it gets smaller and then it disintegrates but if you put energy into it it gets bigger and therefore colder and um after a while you're kind of stuck with it for a very long time so can you call it a dim radiation dim radiation i mean it's pretty (laughs) dim um it was kind of hawking's whole most famous thing to discover that yeah they actually do radiate because it's it's the kind of thing where it's like you're not going to get a straight answer for what or why just because there's some confusion about it but i would just i would describe it as just it makes a tear in geometry that just leaks shit yeah. <laughs> um, so so my understanding about hawking radiation is in absolute vacuum in the middle of nowhere uh, usually yeah. uh, the universe itself spawns particles uh but we never see them. Reason we never see them is the particles that spawn is the particle and antiparticle. So they usually yeah, come together and annihilate right away. Yeah. But at the edge of the black hole horizon, if there is a particle that spawns in, one particle can get captured by the black hole and one does not. Yeah. Um, I've heard, I first heard that too. The problem is that's not actually it. And mm. it's kind of a big misconception people spread about it. It's one of those things that it's really difficult to, like, cut down to understandable terminology what's happening. But it's not really that, Yeah, unfortunately. I was actually confused. So I, I read the book about it. Uh, I don't remember the name. Yeah. Um, and, my, and my confusion was, like, if, if it's what's happening, on average, black hole should capture the same amount of particles and antiparticles. And, like, how would it radiate well, The them? problem is both of those have positive mass and energy. Yeah, true. 
so what exactly? And the answer is that it's not that. Yeah, and yeah. like in in, Haw- in Hawking's defense, um, I think his publisher told him when he was trying to get brief history of time written, every equation you put in this book will cut sales in half. <laughs> so he compromised and did his favorite. Um, you cannot explain this without math. It's just it speaks a completely different language. It's just an alien culture, and really, math is the only language we have in common with it. But yeah, if uh, if if it gets the problem with most black holes, we think is that um, they make so little uh, radiation that just the background heat of the universe still feeds it more than it's it's still slowly gaining. You'd have to wait wait a very 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 long time before it actually starts uh slowly uh paring down. Yeah. Like the, by by the time the last black hole is going to radiate into nothingness, the universe is going to be dead for very 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 Yeah, very, but let's very not talk about time. that. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, <laughs> too soon. <laughs> too soon. <laughs> yeah. No, um it is potentially one of the best sort of most efficient energy sources you could have because when stuff falls in before it falls in, it gets so blended and shredded by all the forces that it rubs against itself. And that makes a lot of friction and that makes a lot of heat. And it's so much that it actually starts consuming a lot of the mass that would normally fall into it. And it's like, if you get like a little bit of mass means a lot of energy. That's kind of the whole premise of nuclear power. Only a tiny bit of mass is made into energy there, but that's enough to make a lot of energy. It's something like point less than like 1%, but this can like turn up to like 20% of the mass into energy, which is pretty insane. I guess what I was visualizing, like, what if in the future we actually was like, oh, we'll use this as an energy source. We'll make little black holes and we'll just throw stuff into it and it'll just burn up. <laughs> Except then I'm like, how do you keep them? Because if you make, if you give them too much, they'll get too cold and you won't be able to get them. The scientists will get chilly. If you make a black hole, it's going to fall straight into the Earth core. How are you going to hold it? Oh, you know, you you do this all like in orbit around the sun in a station somewhere. No, you keep it in the core. Like, no, just... don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> just just oh, okay. just throw black holes into Earth, and it's gonna be slowly consuming us. Yeah, yeah. Slowly. Well, the, the good news is that you have to like, in order to get a black hole that's cold enough to not immediately burn away, it has to have like entire mountains of mass into it. <laughs> so it's hard to do by accident. But yeah, um, there's a really, uh, remind me, I'll send you a link to this for the show notes, but there's a really, really good video about falling into a black hole because it is like, it's well-researched and detailed. Um, and it's, none of it is what you'd expect. The black hole does not look like it's coming towards you. It actually gets a little bit smaller as you get closer. Nothing happens when you cross the event horizon in your view. Nothing looks different. You still see it in front of you. That's, that seems like some, like, couldn't. Couldn't they just have made some cool shit up and no one would ever know better? I mean, probably. That's what a lot of other people do. <laughs> oh, sure. That, yeah. That's what that's what sci-fi has been doing for ages. Yeah. Black hole looks like a whirlpool, right? Sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> and then it's going to pull your heels from your head and tear you in pieces before you even get to the black hole. Right. The, the, uh, here's another weird thing. The larger it is, the less it will do that. Because it pulls you more evenly, probably. Exactly. Yeah. So if you have a really supermassive one, that won't happen for a long while. It'll take like hours to actually, once you enter the event horizon, to actually start getting dangerous. But you you can't avoid it. Yeah. 
You remember the Large Hadron Collider uh, first launch when people were freaking out about uh, it's going to make black holes and it's going to destroy oh, yeah. the Earth? Yeah, I remember there was a quote. This kind of, I think it was like on the Daily Show or something. I use this as a joke in like probability classes. Someone was asking, like, if you're so, if you're concerned about this, what are the odds you say that this destroys the Earth? And their answer was, well, it either will or it won't. So I would say 50%. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh, classic. It, it's like the meat of the dinosaur. Classic probability reasoning. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of probability reasoning is basically that, but with a lot of better ideas on top of it. So uh, sometimes you just have to guess. I mean, you 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 make a better estimate of this, right? So okay, okay. So either it will destroy the Earth, or it won't, and I'll have waffles for breakfast, or it won't, and I'll have pancakes for breakfast. Okay. Now it's only one third chance that the Earth is destroyed. I think this is called Pascal's breakfast. <laughs> it means you're just gonna have waffles because mm. you will never have pancakes. Because waffles are delicious. If waffles give you, if if the Earth is destroying is inf- is negative infinite happiness, and waffles are infinite happiness, then it is your best interest to believe in waffles mm-hmm. or something like that. Can we make it to the cult? I, I I've heard it's really easy to register a cult in the U.S. Hmm. Is there a register? I didn't know about this registry. I should look this up. I mean, the the religious organization. Okay, not not specifically for cults. (laughs) Okay, all right. But it needs to be a cult. If it's not a cult, what's the point? Mm. You get someone to officiate marriages. The the waffle apocalypse (laughs) cult. Mm. Waffle up. I I think we already have. Waffle up. We already have enough uh, like starchy food based uh, like joke religions already. I think. Waffle up a cap. Waffle, waffle, waffle. waffle apocalypse. Waffle apocalypse. Well, congratulations on the episode title. Waffle apocalypse. There, I did it. No, you did waffle not. Apocalypse. You did not. I think you'll probably have to do it after the fact. <laughs> uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. Waffle agree. Uh, my topic is the book of wafflations. Sorry. <laughs> Winston is suddenly really into Power Rangers, which I'm not super thrilled about, but it does make me happy that the appeal of cheesy midi rock won't be lost on future future generations. Mm-hmm. So Winston is like four years old, and we for a while we were trying to like just avoid any like entertainment media that was like based around fighting mm-hmm. or violence, and he just just gravitates towards that shit. I don't know if it was something in in his nature or if it's something he learned at school. But, like, he fucking loves people punching each other. Hmm. I think the way my mind worked is just sort of like when you're young and you don't know anything, I think the world is, to you, is in a state of, I bet I could punch that. Mm-hmm. I bet I'm powerful. Nothing has really proven me otherwise so far, so <laughs> this is really cool. I, I mean, it, violence is extremely effective. Especially against putty monsters. Right. Yeah. This is mostly unrelated to the thing you wanted to talk about, but we just said, we just were talking about the apocalypse, and then you brought up Power Rangers, and all I can think about is the Horsemen of the Apocalypse as, like, a Power Rangers spinoff. Like, when they need to power up, they don don their horses, and instead (laughs) of, like, Tyrannosaurus, Pterodactyl, it's like, death, war. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's got legs. I think, uh, I mean, there are so many... There are so many Power Rangers subseries. He's been watching Beast Morphers. Oh, they can fight the beast with seven heads. Sorry, I'm going to continue. 
and like Dino Fury and like there's another one and there's there's this whole there's like at least a dozen of these sub series with different like the different characters but they all like they're all the same show like I was really shocked when I saw this like here's a Power Rangers show made in the last 3 years it's the exact same show with the exact same production values except it's in HD now with the same mm-hmm. kind of music meaning like it's rock or metal but somebody made it in half an hour using a keyboard <laughs> it's really easy to shred on a keyboard uh-huh. <laughs> you just doodle your fingers and and like it's also clearly <laughs> like distortion pedal <laughs> the the action scenes are shot in J- in Japan and then they they cut in american actors for the scenes that are not as special effects heavy that was insane to me to realize for the first time is that the actions like every time they're in costume is it that it's a, from a different show yeah yeah <laughs> they they wrote a new show around the action scenes from this other show <laughs> like uh i guess you know i guess that only works because it's in costume i'm trying to think of doing that with other movies if you can just like take scenes from star wars when they're in space and then have a oh wait they did that already i think there was a there was a movie from Turkey that did that. Um, <laughs> just the just the special effects shots from Star Wars. Yeah, I think it just only did a little bit of that. It's just was famous for ripping that off and just being of generally low quality. Right. It's a good idea though. It's a good idea for like yeah. I want I I want just the most expensive parts of this. In fact, like why not just take the most expensive parts of all movies and just put them all in the same movie and you'll get the <laughs> highest quality movie possible. Yeah. Hmm. How would that work, though, if you see characters in these shots? No, it wouldn't. (laughs) Oh, I've got it. No. What you do is you show one movie, and then between, you show your actor take off, like, a disguise that they were wearing to only look like Han Solo. All the while saying, like, ah, they've spotted me. It's time to... Time to look like Iron Man for a while now. (laughs) Right. And the budget you saved... On all the special effects shots, you spent you you have to put it all into a really high quality Han Solo mask. You just do it in like a Mission Impossible when you cut from actual face to a, an actor taking off the face mask, so you can't really see the cut. Right. Yeah. So it's just like here's someone pulling on some latex. Yeah, that's sensible. That make this is a good idea. But that means you have to actually hire Harrison Ford for that one shot where. Where, where it's the high quality Harrison Ford mask. You could just like trick him for a moment, like in uh, that movie Bowfinger. Oh yeah, he's super old now. Yeah, he's pr- probably really <laughs> just like to fool. like get it, just like somehow. Tr- I don't know how you trick him, but you just like get a camera to watch that. And it's all right, gotcha. That's all we needed. Bye. <laughs> I-, I love how people forget that deep fakes actually exist now, and you can just make them on your computer. Like you only need oh, like yeah. fifteen yeah. frames of his face. You don't even need the real Horseman of the Apocalypse anymore. <laughs> Just a deep fake version. Just good. The writers were, were very brutal. Uh, that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Uh, Alexander, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, still can't. <laughs> uh, Topic Lords Discord, that's probably it. And uh, Yaroslav, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, yeah, I don't think really you want to look me up. Okay. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for being on. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, 
who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!